My name is Christina Crook, and I am the author of The Joy of Missing Out. I want to welcome you to the JomoCast, a podcast for founders and creators seeking joy in a digital age. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things. Things like toxic hustle, comparison, and digital drain to make space for life-giving commitments that bring us peace, meaning, and joy. As you know, the JomoCast is listener-supported, and I want to welcome brand-new Patreon supporters John Morris-Brown and Samira Razmi. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast. I'm extremely excited about today's episode with brand strategist Jess Davis. Jess Davis and I connected three years ago and then reconnected recently after she emerged from a year-long hermitage away from the impossible pace of her work. A stress-induced heart condition was telling Jess that enough was enough. Jess's folk rebellion is an expression of the very problems that her hustle-induced illness caused, that the way we relate to technology right now is not serving us at all. In this episode, we discuss how hustle culture is literally killing us, how a health breakdown and a digital detox made Jess realize the destructive effects of her relationship to technology. And we also talk about how to negotiate the desire for opportunity and the ability to create change with the hidden costs and distortion of this message. I'm extremely grateful to Jess Davis for sitting down with me in New York City to share openly about how she burnt out creating a hustle-free movement, the Folk Rebellion. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Jess Davis. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Welcome here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you in New York. Yes, I'm excited to be in New York. It's really loud. We know this already. It's especially loud in this room. (laughs) So sorry to those at home listening. Um, Jess, you and I have corresponded over the last few years. I've been following quite closely what's been happening with Folk Rebellion and your journey. So I'm really excited to dig into this conversation. We got connected how many years ago now? I was trying to think about it. I was doing a quick scroll in my email and I couldn't find our first one. It's got to be at least three years. For sure. Yeah. I was going to say a little bit longer. Probably longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is our first time meeting in real life. (laughs) In real life, which feels really good. So I kind of want to start from this moment that happened a year ago for you. So Jess, we need to talk about what happened in Logan Airport last year. Can you take us back to that day? Yeah. Um, so it was last summer and I was, it was one of those weeks where you're just flitting about from meeting to meeting, um, event to event, very busy, ended up doing back-to-back speaking engagements. And to tell you how busy I was, I went to the airport on the wrong day, a day early So I had just had it so confused. So I literally went to the airport twice, two days in a row for the same flight. Um, But what ended up happening was I had decided to do a turnaround because I have my son at home and I wanted to get back and it was in Boston. So I was just going to fly there, do the talk, come back. And I had all of a sudden on the way there started to feel these horrific chest pains debilitating, like couldn't, couldn't catch my breath, but I knew enough to like slow down, breathe through my nose. It started to pass. Somehow I got on stage, I gave the keynote and 
immediately. I didn't even stay for the rest of the conference or the networking or anything. And I got back in the Uber, went straight back to the airport. I had like, you know, 30 minutes to get through security. And as soon as I passed through security, I went in, I have this like ritual where I buy a book or a magazine every time I get on a plane. And I went into, I think it's the Hudson News and I collapsed. Like my chest just like seized. I couldn't breathe. The horrific cliches that you see in TV shows like ER, my hand hit the rack. I fell over onto my knees and I literally couldn't hold myself up. So the guy on the cart, whatever they're called, he's kind of, he's like the, the, the people with the cart, they came yeah. over and they're asking me if I'm okay. I couldn't answer. It wasn't an anxiety attack or a panic attack. It was, it was, uh, it was a heart attack. As far as I was concerned, I was having a heart attack. Um, I was 39 years old and had no idea like how this was even possible. So they took me away. They tested everything. I started to be able to breathe again. I called my boyfriend at the time and he's like, you need to calm down. Whatever it is, you need to calm down. He's like, you have to have some whiskey. And I was like, you're ridiculous. Also, anyone who knows (laughs) me knows that I love my whiskey. And I was like, don't don't say that to make me happy. And he's like, honestly, he's like, you just have to slow your heart rate. And he's like, or you're going straight to the hospital. And I was like, no, I have to get home. I have to get on this plane. I'm not going to end up in this hospital here for another two days away from my son. So um, they released me. I had a glass of whiskey. I got on the plane. Um, and when I landed back in New York, I told the Uber driver to take me straight to urgent care because it never went away. And as soon as I got back in New York, it was worse again. Um, in in classic New York fashion, he said, yo, miss, don't die in my car. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great welcome. Um, and they diagnosed me with this thing that I had never heard of before, which is costochondritis, um, which is an inflammation around your heart and your ch- your lung and chest walls. I still don't fully know exactly how it's described, but um, it's most likely due to stress and uh, it mimics a heart attack. It feels exactly like a heart attack, except for the differences. A heart attack takes place for a minute or seconds. This can last up to weeks or months long, which is what happened to me. So I um, thought that I would feel better in a few days. It took a few days. I can remember laying in bed and like, you can't even, you can't turn. You can't even twist like a half an inch. You can't take a deep breath, like nothing. And your whole life, nothing else matters because you can't, you know, for me, of course, I'm still not thinking about myself first. All I can think about is I can't take care of my son. Um, And it slowly got a little bit better. And so I got up and then I have employees and I have a business to run and I have a family and a household. And I started to do things. And within two days, I was back in bed again. And this went on basically the whole rest of the summer. So I think that was July um, through August, September-ish. October is when I tried to come back to work. Um, And I did only to then just be totally like a few things happened after that, that I was just like, this is it. Like I'm, I'm going into pause mode. And it was by December where I just decided to just take this sort of sabbatical both personally and now has ended up being like a business, like creative sabbatical. Hmm. Um, But my body forced me to shut down, literally forced me to shut down. And it was terrifying. And I don't ever want to go back there again. No. And what was all of that in service of? my mission, which was, it's like, even saying it out loud now makes me, makes me feel so, uh, I don't want to say stupid or self-important or egotistical, but like 
I was in service of the mission of Folk Rebellion, which is that the world needed to wake up to the fact that the way we're utilizing technology right now isn't the best way and that you can become sick like I did, haha, six, seven, eight years ago. And now here I was again, just in a different fashion, getting sick in a different way from this self-imposed like mission that I needed to go and fix this problem that society has. And I found my purpose and I'm very lucky to have found it and I am driven by it, but not to the point of my own well-being. And that's what happened. Man. So for those who aren't familiar with Folk Rebellion, take us back to the origins. What is Folk Rebellion? How did it start? What did it become until that point? Um, So I guess it was about eight years ago now. I had, uh, I was here in New York City. I've been a brand strategist for over 15 years. Uh, Kind of fell face first into a career in the internet and digital because I was a communicator and a storyteller. I went to school for photography and art and writing and uh, found out very quickly I was better at getting people to attend the art exhibitions than actually making the art itself. And so a career in marketing was just very natural for me um, to pay the bills. And At the same time, this whole thing with Facebook started and it was really natural for me to communicate in a tone of voice online um, that got people to understand things, pay attention, attend events. Uh, You know, it's the the way that you can communicate where it sounds really organic and authentic. So uh, next thing I knew, I was teaching like viral networking 101 to small businesses at colleges. So I'm this is how long ago it was. And I became this sort of liaison between the C-suite who didn't understand this new digital world whatsoever, but I had had a traditional marketing background and they trusted me. And now I'm a user, right, of this digital world. And I'm right on that line of, you know, remembering what it was like before and after. So I sat at that nexus and what ended up happening was it was a really great position for me to be sitting in because, uh, all these C-suite executives needed somebody like me to help them navigate this new modern world that their brands were going into. I didn't realize that this very fast-paced, successful, fun, like career that granted me like a lot of notoriety and awards was making me sick. And uh, so eight years ago, I started to go see different doctors because I had had this general feeling of like malaise brain fog, disassociation, and unwellness for about six months to a year. And the biggest thing that drove me to go and see a doctor is that I couldn't have told you what I had had for breakfast that day. And I used to joke about it, right? Self-deprecating, like, I can't tell you what I had for breakfast today because my brains are scrambled eggs. Like, that's what it was like. And so all these different doctors, uh, I first went to like neurologists, like anything that they could try and figure out what was happening to me. And, you know, they said all the things. It's baby brain, but my baby was two and a half at the time. It's uh, uh, gluten intolerance, vitamin D deficiency. It's nutrients. It's whatever they said it was. I did whatever their recommended, you know, course was. Nothing made it better. Um, Fast forward to I go to Hawaii to visit my sister with my family. And at the airport, I whip my phone out. I'm getting the lay. We're in Honolulu. And I'm messaging all of my clients. Sorry, had no Wi-Fi on the plane, just landed. I'm available. And I had like told them I was going to be on vacation, but that's how 
addicted I was both to work and self-importance and just like the culture back then of always being accessible. So my husband at the time looked at me and he's like, I'm not doing this with you for two weeks. So you can either give me all of your devices or I will send you back home. And, you know, I now see it. it, it, This was an intervention, essentially, that changed my life forever, because after some tears and some curse words, I decided to give him my iPad, my laptop, which was really like my second child, uh, my phone, everything, called my clients, put an out of office on and said, if you need to get a hold of me, you can call Glenn. And eight days later, and that's what's so significant to me, because most American vacations are three, five, seven days max, right? Eight days later, I woke up and it was as if somebody had just flipped a switch back on in my brain. I was clearer than I had been probably in a decade. I can tell you like what the sheets felt like under my skin, like the scent of um, like the salt from the ocean in my nose, like all of it was just so clear. And I sprung out of bed and I had this energy that I couldn't even explain. And so when I, I talk about this a lot and I share the story, um, a lot of people will say it's very akin to what um, addicts feel when they become sober for the first time and coming off of drugs or alcohol. And uh, I grabbed my journal. I'd already told you I was a writer, but all I had been writing was like marketing copy and like 140 characters for brands. And so it was dusty. I picked it up and I still have the page and it's just kept saying over and over again, what's different, what's different, what's different. And I wrote, you already know the answer. It's your lack of technology. And of course, the always on lifestyle. And I'm sure living in New York doesn't help either um, with all the stimulation. But I came back to New York City. And because of my network, I reached out to all these people, scientists, doctors, futurists. And I said, I think I scrambled my brain. And they said they didn't have a word for it. um, But yes, it's entirely possible. The good news was I could make changes um, to protect myself moving forward. So I went into my first client meeting with my laptop closed and a notebook and a pen and paper because I had done all this research just in the two weeks of what sort of changes I could make. And so I knew I was more creative when I worked in the real world, in the 3D world, not on a keyboard. Um, I knew that I retained things better in my brain memory wise when I wrote them by my own hand. So I went with like the best of intentions for my client of giving them my best brain. And they said to me, what are you going to do here as our digital strategist with your laptop closed? Open it up, flip your phone on. And I knew that was it. Like I had had this epiphany, but nobody else had. And I could fight it like in each room that I go in, or I could take all my evil marketing and advertising powers and (laughs) use them for good. And that's how Folk Rebellion started. And what was the seed of the idea at that point? So I knew that a conversation like this, because that's all it is. That's what Folk Rebellion was supposed to be, a conversation. Some people would call it a campaign. Um, I just wanted to spark a conversation around our tech usage. You have to realize back then, digital detox wasn't really a term. Um, And I was an early adopter and an overuser. So even though I was feeling this way, maybe not everybody else was, but they would catch up in a few years. And now here we sit and everybody feels like how I felt, you know, six, seven years ago. My whole life, I've built communities around brands, uh, specifically lifestyle brands. So I'm never selling a product. I'm selling the idea and the lifestyle that goes with it. Um, So I knew 
that no one wants to be told that they're scrambling their brains or their children's brains, or that by always being on email in their office culture, that the boss is actually creating less productivity and people's relationships with their technology is very personal. And um, so I had to make it fun and I had to make it lighthearted and playful and not judgmental. And the only way to do that is through this sort of lifestyle brand. So I'm less talking about the technology, but more talking about what's uh, lost or gained due to your relationship with it. And so I really talk about like reconnecting to ourselves, to the world around us, um, to real things, real moments um, where I'm not like the academics or the scientists who are talking about the neuroscience or the actual technology itself. Right. Okay. So just a year ago when everything happened, when you had this another crisis point in terms of your career and hustling and all these things, you wrote this post. I have to say, I think it's amazing that you did this. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's amazing that you were honest about the fact that you were building a hustle-free movement and then you burnt out hustling. Yeah. That's a lot. Not a lot of people would do that. Really? I don't think so. And I, you know, it's funny. I've always kind of hidden behind folk rebellion and it's, I try not to, I'm a very private person. So uh, for me, I was able to share this because it was the topic that folk rebellion was about. So it was just very easy for me to share it, I guess. Um, and also I got to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. Right. Which I think sometimes is a really great place to be because yeah. it actually truth is spoken. That's true. Which is what I read in your post. And I'm going to read a little bit of it um, now. So you wrote that you had this feeling, I must get back to work. There's lives to change. Society needs me. This can't be the way the world is left for my son. I've got to sell these ideas, promote my press, educate the masses to what end. And I think what jumped out at me reading that that was this sort of like savior complex. And please let me elaborate on that because I think it's something that a lot of us feel and especially people that have deep, deep passions for seeing change in the world. There's this savior complex, this sense that I see this thing that needs to change. And as the quote goes, I must be the change, right? I want to right. see in the world that beautiful, beautiful quote. But where does this go wrong? Where do you think we steer this wrong? And let me just say one more thing before you answer. I do believe that if you see a problem in the world, that you have a responsibility to act. I'm not a type of person that sees garbage on the ground and then complains about the garbage on the ground. I believe that if you notice the garbage on the ground, that is now your responsibility to pick, pick it up, up. pick it up, <laughs> not to complain about it. So I want to just qualify that, that I actually truly believe in this belief that we must be the change in the world. Where do you think it goes wrong? Um, I think there's many things at play right now. Um, for me, I'll speak from my my personal experience because I can't say for everyone. I have... First off, I am so blessed and lucky to know fantastic people who are making change in the world daily. They're making change to specific people. They're making change culturally, societally. They're doing it through many different platforms and tools and many different ways. And there's so much um, wrong right now that there's a lot to be fixed. And I'm surrounded by just amazing, amazing people that are really trying to do this. Where I think it's going wrong is the technology itself, um, where you had these sort of people that could be leaders, share um, cultural writings, uh, history, academics. It, it came out in the form of a book, right? You picked it up, you read it. Maybe you had a book club. Um, now, anybody can write anything anywhere. Everybody is a platform. 
And that is a great thing. And that is also an awful thing because people can say anything that they want all the time. And where I I was just meeting with my friend who is a writer last week and, you know, she's a very well-known writer and respected. And here I go and I write on Instagram, a post that resonates with so many people, um, but it's not in a book format. And I said to her, do all words hold the same weight? And she said, you and I both know the answer to that, but the rest of the world doesn't. And so, yes, I can enact change through my platform, but it's so, it's like this pancake effect, right? Where everybody has the ability to say anything anywhere all the time. And because of that, they're clamoring over one another, right? And essentially these things that used to be works, um, methodologies, practices, deep thought are becoming little snippets all over the place that is now being cannibalized and used by the brands and the marketing companies. So I guess that's the longest answer to I went wrong um, by becoming a tool for other people or other companies or other organizations. So when I started Folk Rebellion, it was to change how we operate with technology. But I also had to pay the bills and I had to pay my team and I had to figure out a way to get this message out outside of my little world on the internet. So what do you do? You go with somebody bigger, somebody who has a bigger platform or who has deeper pockets. And at first it's like a coup, it's a feather in your cap because people are respecting you and what you're doing. But when you were working on a book or a book series or um, deep long form articles where all of your thoughts are, where all the important work is, you are now spending your time in meetings with, let's say, a senior vice president of a brand who just wants you to essentially do marketing copy for them under the ruse of what it is your mission was. So that's really where it started to go wrong for me. And I don't want to sound um, ungrateful or unappreciative to the the companies and the organizations and the people who backed me at a very um, early start, because I've met some fabulous people and there are some wonderful businesses out there doing really great things. Um, but what happened is you, and let me speak for me, I spent the majority of my time running in circles for them. I became a content machine for them, where this was my mission, my passion, and something that I felt was uh, so important for the whole world. This was the 2017 marketing deck plan for right. this company that wanted to enter into this digital wellness world. Um on top of that, you add in that everybody is speaking, everybody's on panels, everybody's got to generate this uh, notoriety. Um, I'm, again, very lucky to have been asked to speak on a lot of these things. Um, and you take you take the opportunities because there's a hundred people behind me who would kill to have the opportunity that I have. Right. And I, for me, it was never ego. I'm an introvert. Like I don't like to go on stage. I actually very much like sitting in a podcast studio, just you and I are walking through the streets. Me too. <laughs> um, but I knew that if I did it, I could go and I could reach 3000 people in one day. And then by reaching those 3000 people, again, we're back to the first problem I said, which is the technology of those 3000 people, let's say 300 of them resonated so much with my talk that they've emailed me, they've DM'd me, they've tweeted me, they've sent me letters in the mail. Again, beautiful, amazing, awesome. Like people would kill for this. But 
It's so much stimulation. The tools allow us to be accessible all the time to everyone everywhere. And there's really amazing positives of that. And there's really awful negatives of that. And so that's kind of where I, I, I have the awesome. And now to counterbalance it, I also had the really negative. I seem mm. to always go from one extreme <laughs> to the other. What have you discovered this past year? Oh, a lot. I've, it's been... um. It's been a really beautiful year. It's been a really good year. Um, I have discovered that I don't want to create a brand um, that is scalable and for profit, um, which anyone who comes in just sees the opportunity. They're like, you could be Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. You can have products. You can have apparel. You can have your own publishing platform. You can have retreats, which I've done all of these things, but on a very sort of like approachable grassroots scale, because it was always just me and a small team. Um, and I, that's how I like to build brands is start small, grow big. And I don't want to do that. I just don't. I really don't. And um, I've discovered that my joy is in first and foremost, owning my time. And when you are at the beck and call of either the community you created the employees that you've hired or the brands that you're collaborating with, you don't get to own your time anymore. Even if you're the owner of the company and you dictate, okay, we have out of office hours. Okay, we we are not going to send emails at this time because work and people and technology fills time. And it doesn't matter what I'm finding for myself personally, no matter how many boundaries I set, I still can't slow this frantic world the way that I was living it. So I have decided to go back to a company of one. And that's actually one of um, the books that I read this past year. Paul Jarvis. So good. Um, Ego is the enemy. Ryan Holiday. Like all of these people that they're figuring it out maybe a little bit uh, before I did, which is uh, I'm I like to make things. I, they can go out into the world and if they inspire people or help people, that makes me so happy. Um, It drives me. But it's not something that I can do to sell. I can't sell myself anymore. I can't sell my brand anymore. Um, I just want to make things and just if they get read, they get read. If they don't, they don't. Um, I can't be accessible anymore to um, the community. I love them. I dearly wish I could clone myself to some. There's a second person who could respond to every heartfelt letter that we get. I I just can't. And it's for selfish reasons. I have to protect myself and my time. Um, I know now that I need to spend more time writing. I I love writing. The The thing that resonated the most with people with Folk Rebellion were my words on the Instagram handle or my words in my magazine or my words on a stage. And um, anytime I created something and invited other voices in, it was wonderful. But at the end of the day, people wanted you know, to hear what I had to say about things. Mm -hmm. And that's okay too. And I just never fully stepped into that. So I'm going to be doing that now. That's exciting. It is. And then I learned that, uh, honestly, the rest of the world can maybe figure out this problem. I don't need to be the one to do it. I much rather spend my time with my family and my friends and being out in nature and walking around. And uh, I get that I'm in a place of privilege that I can kind of do that. And I I don't need to save the world. I don't. Now that's not to say I'm not going to try, but I don't have to. It doesn't have to be my main focus all the time. 
I'm imagining you walking around in your neighborhood. <laughs> you know, I get a lot of joy um, from purposefully walking slow and purposefully not meeting people at eight in the morning and purposefully just sitting with my son and forcing him to just sit there on a park bench and seeing everybody else scurry about. That's, that's how I find my joy now, because I know, I know it's like, I know this is how I'm supposed to be living and what I'm supposed to be doing. And I used to feel that I needed to let everyone else know that time spent wasted like that is going to make them sick, is going to leave them unfulfilled. It's, you know, the you people end up on their deathbed and they have the regrets of like they worked all the time or they were on their computer all the time. And like, I just somehow have been able to see it at a much younger age. And I, I thought it was my job to fix everyone. And what I'm seeing is people are getting there on their own and I don't need to be that person anymore. Um, it's not to say I'm still not going to be a part of the conversation. I'm just going to own the way that I'm doing it. I'm not going to be on the backs of anybody else or in collaboration with anybody else anymore. Cool. So I can manage my own time. That's exciting. I'm going to read a little bit yeah. again from your beautiful words. I, you know, this is terrifying to me because I <laughs> haven't looked back on it since I wrote it. Way to go. <laughs> Some people would obsessively look back on it. Okay. You wrote, the happiest people I know don't continually strive, push, and try to achieve goals. They may not have singular passions, but are passionate. They may not have a single purpose, but live with purpose. I see so many people hustling, selling, sharing. I want to know, are they happy? What do you think? Are they? I have goosebumps. Can you, <laughs> um, this is the the forever question, right? I mean, I guess now we're talking about everyone having platforms of themselves and personal brands to sell, but 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was still like status, you know, striving. If it, back then it was a white picket fence and a big car, you know, now it's an Instagram handle that's verified. Um, I don't like to speak for other people. I know a lot of my friends who are happy that have a mission that are very purposeful in how they spend their time. But I think they're still seeking. I think a lot of people in doing all of this is still seeking some sort of fulfillment. And all I can say is that my fulfillment comes from myself. It doesn't come from anything else outside. And that fulfillment is a good meal with my boyfriend. It is riding a bike with my son. It is laying on the ground and um, petting my dog. and. I know other people that may get fulfilled from, you know, finishing their to-do list or uh, creating the next new thing. So it's just, yeah, do whatever makes you happy. I don't, for me, it didn't make me happy. It, it killed me slowly. I was proud of what I did. I am still proud of it. And uh, the next iteration very purposefully will be created. Um I don't know. I, I see a lot of people maybe just spinning their wheels or filling time, seeking, still seeking. Okay. I'm going to read one last little bit. You wrote, I've been preaching tech balance for five years, but what if what's best is to have none of it? Coming out of your year of creative hibernation, what conclusions have you come to about all of that? Ah, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> yeah. I'm happier without it. 
hundred percent happier. I'm happier. I'm healthier. Um, something happened after the election where if you haven't, if you haven't seen the great hack, you need to see it. Um, but everything hit a fever pitch where I was able to control things and manage things and set boundaries and balance. And as we knew, this stuff is going to shift and become a 2.0 and get closer and closer and more on our bodies, in our bodies. And I always thought that self-regulation is key and I know my values and I know what I'm going to stick to. And I'm going to look at every new thing and strategically decide, is this going to be a part of my life and how am I going to use it? And what am I losing? What am I gaining? So I'm very well versed in looking at each new technology, innovation, digital. um, And even then, it's too much. And I can't keep up with it anymore. I legit can't keep up with it. It's, um, I can't block it out anymore. I can't block out certain things or certain times, even as Google rolls out their digital wellness and Apple adds this, you know, thing to their iOS, like it's not helping. And if you look at the research, it's just not helping. Like the the stuff is there, but people don't look at it or they look at it and then they feel worse about themselves. Or they just like most people, if you set a time limit, you just override. Override. Exactly. So for me, um, I, you know, if you look back in any of Folk Rebellion's history, I tried to fully go off two or three other times and wasn't able to pull the ripcord completely because of digital ties to like my son or whatnot. Um, But there have been things that I have just completely cut out and I have never been happier. And I don't believe that we can have balance with tech right now, the way that it's being developed. So that is the longest answer to what I've never said out loud, which is I don't think that we can until government regulates, until uh, a code of ethics is demanded, until an educational uh, program is developed for generations, every generation. I'm not just talking about kids on what this is, how it's made, how it's going to impact your life before you even download it and learn to use it. Um, I don't think, no, I don't think you can. Standing ovation over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of scary to say because I've been saying you can for the past five or six years. Yeah. And I mean, I, I cannot. So, and I'm terrified for my son. When I started this, I was scared for him. And now I'm legit terrified. The word balance is in my, the subtitle of my book. I was not okay with that. Really? No, because I had a similar feeling. And what I didn't read, but I will read now, is that you said maybe abstinence is the only way. And I wrote, I can't tell you how many times I've had this exact same thought. Yeah. Because my experience was I was offline for a month, which is barely anything. Some people think it's shocking. And I think it's like a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's not. It's no no big thing. Um, Easiest thing in the world. Easiest thing in the world to be completely offline. Feels so good. Feels so good. The moment you step back on, you're having to negotiate and renegotiate and renegotiate and renegotiate every single minute of the day. And all of that decision-making fatigue is causing us so much fatigue and stress and 
exhaustion. Um, and so when the word balance showed up as possible subtitle in the subtitle, finding balance in a wired world, I said, I'm not comfortable with that. And in the end, publishers make decisions about book titles. And I kind of, you know, yeah. I understood that it was starting a conversation and that's fine. But I agree with you. And I think um, while well, I was having this conversation, so Tiffany Schlein recently had a book. So she's founder of the Webby Awards. She has a book that just came out called 24-6. It's all about tech, yep. Sabbath, Shabbat. She's culturally Jewish. And she'll say that also about her time offline one day a week, that it is, that day is so easy. Like once the decision's been made, right. that commitment's been made, every other day is painful and difficult. And she says on Wednesday, she starts looking forward to Friday, right? And that's because she's abstaining. Yep. So I don't know if you want to respond, but I believe that abstinence is the easiest way. Yeah. And I, I 100% agree with that. Um, you know, they put balance in there because it's marketable. Nobody wants to be told that they can't or shouldn't live with technology because our world is undeniably digital. And it's like kids in a candy store, the tech industry, and every, it's just, it's, an, it's uncontrollable what's happening right now unless regulation, ethics, government steps in. And so why am I going to partake in something that I can't control, that I can't control for my son? Um, abstinence, like, yeah, like, would I love to never have my phone? I looked at you before I, I, we walked outside for our walk and I said, if it wasn't for my son, I wouldn't even have this phone. And the tethers, so it's not to communicate with him. It's all the other people that need to communicate about my son to me is their practice today. It's going to rain. Are you walking him? It's his asthma refill that's now an app on CVS. It's so many things that we're, we're getting so far into this that we can't unplug and pull out. Um, but I just have figured out like the areas that I can. And that's been enough for me right now. And I've honestly never been happier. So... I hope that other people have the ability to try and do that. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it's going to look like in three months or three years. We can't possibly predict what the next like innovation or upgrade is going to be. But yeah, I'm going to stop talking about balance and tech because I don't have anything to sell anymore. It doesn't need to be marketable. It's just the truth, my truth, you know, and I think it's going to resonate with some people. So what is next for you? Um, well, I haven't told anybody yet. I have been working... I would say since maybe March is when I started to really understand the pivot that I want to make, which is away from this scalable for sale business and more back to, you know, my storytelling and my writing. Um, the people I admire the most in the world have no social media following. Um, some of them do, but a lot of them don't. And what they have in replace of that is really deep, um, well-researched, thought out, beautiful stories and narratives that come out in different ways. And so I've been working on the next iteration of what Folk Rebellion is, and it's not my story anymore. I want to show the human side of tech. Uh, so where you have people like Tristan Harris and other people that are advocating for change in government, or you have scientists and neurologists, I've always sat at the level of the user um, or the human, because I like to geek out and read all those things and distill it in a way that the everyday person who this stuff is actually affecting in real time, their families, their businesses, their own health, their mental health, 
um, I'm able to say it in a way that they can understand it. But what's been really interesting to me is that when I go and I give a talk, what happens afterwards is the hundreds of stories about how tech is affecting them. And so I'm working on developing a TV show to let these people share what it is um, that the technology and the digital revolution is doing to their lives. And it's not dark. It's playful. It's fun. It's educational. It's uh, a visual representation of everything that I've been doing, um, the dispatch and, uh, you know, everything that we've written before. But it's less about me this time. I'm just kind of like a curator or a host throughout it, helping people share these things. And then equally looking back where we were 10, 15 years ago and looking forward into the future of where we will be if we continue on this path. And a lot of people have done this or tried to do it in a way where, again, it falls into those two worlds, which is tech or academia. And I want this to just be something that is watched when you're flipping through the channels and you're like, I never thought about that. And that's all I want. Um, so it's awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, and we're in the process right now. That's so exciting. And then obviously my writing. So that's going to be the next piece of it. Um, every time I went to go write the book, I kept writing that it wasn't just about me. And I didn't want to be another guru telling people how to unplug. I feel like there's enough of that out there right now. And I didn't have anything new to share. And I kept saying I wanted to tell, show other people's stories. So when I said the word show, I knew it wasn't a podcast and I knew it wasn't a book. I needed to visually this is a visual thing. I mean, my God, just getting in the elevator here to come see you. I was the only person not staring at my phone on the subway. I was the only person not staring at my phone. And the world is becoming increasingly more isolated. And I need to show what that looks like um, and also give people hope. Yes, that's it. I love it. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being with me today. No, I really appreciate it. This was a bit cathartic for me. Um, you're one of the first people I've spoken to in about a year. So thank you for having me. And I'm really excited about everything that you're doing. And you've just always been um, very true and very real. And in this whole conversation, there's a lot of noise. And I appreciate what it is you're putting out there. Thanks, Jess. Well, thank you for listening. You can learn more about our guests in the show notes and by visiting jomocast.com. The Jomocast is edited and produced by Thomas J. Inge, musician and composer by day, podcast ninja by night. The Jomocast is a listener supported. Sign up as a patron at patreon.com forward slash jomocast and you'll get access to bonus episodes with myself and digital sociologist Jess Piriam. And a handwritten welcome note in the mail for me, because here at Jomo, we believe in the power of the tangible. You'll even get a shout out on the podcast. Patreon support makes the Jomocast possible. Don't forget to subscribe to Jomocast with your provider of choice. And if you loved this episode, leave us a five-star review. Want more Jomo? Patreon members meet online monthly to digital detox our devices and experience Jomo online and off. Sign up to become a Jomo member at patreon.com forward slash experience Jomo for support like this and so much more. I'm your host, Christina Crook. Thanks for listening and may you always miss out 
on the right. Thanks.